Good evening, friends. Welcome back to Earmarks, the chill book review show centered around out-of-print books you should read. In this episode, we're going to talk about Portrait of Jenny by Robert Nathan. Portrait of Jenny is a slight departure from my normal episode in that this is not strictly a sci-fi novel, uh, but instead it is billed as a supernatural fantasy romance novel. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that later because I think I disagree. But it was originally published in 1940 and it was last published in 2012. My copy here is a, a hard copy I found at a thrift shop many years ago, and I saw the cover and was instantly like, okay, what's this about? And picked it up, and lo and behold, it was a, a surprisingly interesting sort of romance novel. Let's get into a quick history, huh? Uh, Portrait of Jenny was written in 1938 initially, and I, I guess wasn't published until 1940, but it spawned um, several radio adaptations, a theatrical play, and a movie. Um, the movie came out on Christmas Day in 1948, and it was a complete failure, uh, according to everything that I could find. It only made back about a quarter of its budget, um, was kind of critically panned at the time, but it has since apparently become quite popular and is now considered a classic of, of the fantasy genre of the time. I guess it has like a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes currently, but... I had never heard of the movie until I started doing research for this episode. I can now definitively say it is, yeah, it's quite a lovely movie. I definitely prefer the book, big surprise. The book leaves a lot more to the imagination than the movie does, and I think that that is instrumental in what this book actually is. Uh, and we will get to that in a second. Another notable piece here is apparently uh, Ray Bradbury had quite a lot to say about this book and he talked about it often most recently or i guess most notably he said quote welcome back portrait of jenny it touched and frightened me when i was 24 now once more it touches and frightens and i kind of get that um this is billed as a romance novel but in reality it's kind of an existential crisis in a book um, and I get why Ray Bradbury would say that it frightens him because it has a lot of questions that it leaves. And we will talk about that in just a second. One second. <laughs> Let's get into the spoiler free review. All right. Portrait of Jenny is ostensibly billed as a literary romance novel, um, but it feels much more like a speculative mystery and contemplation on mental illness with a sprinkling of existential crisis kind of thrown in for good measure. It is a great American novel era story uh, about a starving artist and the girl that he falls in love with, who is a little unusual. Being spoiler free here is a bit difficult because it's not a long story. In fact, this book is 200 pages and it is not a small font type. So suffice it to say in this very quick spoiler free review section that this is a deep look into the psyche of a painter in the 40s and his sudden success because of a muse, um, and then how that all kind of falls away uh, in the overwhelming tide of love 
for this woman that may or may not even be real. Um, I do not want to spoil anything. Again, this is a short book and a quick read, and you should pick it up because it is not really about that romance. It is much more about the slippery slope of the tortured artist sort of cliche and loneliness and kind of a a look from the outside in of a potential mental illness and what that can do to a person, especially someone in the 40s. Um, this is a book that asks a lot of questions and provides almost no answers, um, which is probably why it's so short. And I think that it's necessary to be that way. So this is definitely the kind of book that you should read if you are, you know, not necessarily looking for something super heavy sci-fi or anything. You want just a, you know, a semi-light read romance type novel, but you still enjoy the explorations of those deeper philosophical questions. This is the novel for you. Definitely check it out. All right, let's get into the spoiler section of this review. Um, I have a lot of things that this book makes me think about. This is definitely a, the type of book that makes you think. And almost all of it introspectively, which is quite pleasant. Um, firstly, what I really loved about this book is how little it actually answers. It doesn't really tell you anything. It doesn't hold your hand or over explain almost anything in this book. It is a sort of a collection of vignettes. And the vignettes are not of the main character Eben's life because it sort of takes place not necessarily real time, but fairly similar, like fairly chronological for a short period of Eben's life. But the vignettes are actually, we get to see just pockets of when Jenny appears in his life, right? So, um, you know, we may be seeing three or six months worth of, of Eben's life, but that is kind of told in encounters with Jenny, so to speak, um, for the most part. This book, like many sci-fi novels, novels that I love, asks a lot of questions um, and, and kind of explores a lot of the deeper edges of those questions. Um, like, for example, follows Eben, who is a, a starving artist living week to week, um, sell, like trying to live off of his art that he sells in the street or to vendors or galleries or anywhere that will take anything that he's done. And most of the time, he does not sell enough to pay rent that week and barely enough to eat. Um, so that hints consistently throughout the novel of this greater internal stress. And we are led to believe that maybe that is the catalyst for some kind of mental break that has him imagining Jenny. Again, we're not sure. Nothing is explicit here. So we don't know if Jenny is just part of his imagination or if she's a real woman. Um, and we never really find out. From the outset, Jenny seems like she has always been in love with Eben. Um, which is a little strange, but we first meet her as a little girl, like nine or 10 years old, wandering alone in the, in a courtyard mall as the sun is going down, Eben's packing up his stuff and runs into this little girl and kind of walks her through the mall to try and find her parents or what have you. And she ends up, you know, taking off after that. 
Uh, but she tells Evan that she's trying to hurry up and grow up as fast as she can. Um, and Evan kind of jokes about it a little bit, but she seems really like sincere, like specific, which is strange. Um, you know, and neither Evan nor us had any real idea what, what that meant until the next time that she appears to Evan. Um, she is visibly older, even though it's only been a few days or maybe a week for Evan since he last saw her and she's visibly older, like, like much faster than real time, which Evan has been experiencing. Um, you know, it's been a few days or a week for Evan, but it has clearly been a couple of years for Jenny. And she says that she's trying to catch up to Evan as fast as possible, which is a weird ass thing to do and say personally, but even, even Evan barely even questions that he's just like, yeah, okay. And he kind of is like, well, this, you can see that he is, he feels similarly to Jenny in that, like, there's always been this sort of connection, like from the get go. But initially Evan was like, no, I'm just affectionate for this lost little girl um, who doesn't have her family. She's lost. Like, he's just, you know, um, he attributes his own feelings as like, yeah, no, this is, I'm, I'm like protective of a little girl, right? It never gets like weird, but as this time goes on, he realizes like, okay, I'm kind of starting to fall for this girl, um, as she gets older. Right. And it's, so it's, it's very weird how they both have this like mirrored set of feelings, um, even though they are not experiencing time at the same rate. And, and that sort of quick, like affection or or budding love that Evan feels early, uh, which to me says that even if, if, if Jenny is real, i.e. not a figment of Evan's imagination, that he has clearly lost a little bit of his mind because he doesn't question hardly any of this. He sort of just accepts that this is a weird thing that's happening to him and he doesn't much care after that. He just begins to love Jenny back, the same as she appears to love him which furthers the underlying red herring, maybe, that this is a result of Eben's mind, not real life. As Eben falls deeper in love with Jenny, and she appears a couple more times, goes off to boarding school, comes back, you know, in her early 20s, um, it is clear now that this has very quickly become almost like a crutch for Eben. It is, it's moving very quickly for him into a codependency because Jenny's all that he can think about. He's she's kind of the only light in his life. Um he begins to sketch and paint her and like he, he it's it's clear that Jenny is the sort of ray of sunshine in this dark life that he has. Um and he does not have any barriers to that. Um you know, he's longing for her return as quickly as possible every time she's she's gone. Um, he's using her as his muse and sketches and, and paints and begins to cling to her as an idea, as a way to keep himself moving forward, um, which I think is kind of the heart of this novel is it's a, it's a look at codependency. Um, even if it's imagined codependency, even if it's built on a psychotic break or a ghost or something. Uh, I think the heart of this novel is a look at codependency. And this mentality that Eben develops quickly 
is only enabled and solidified fairly early on after he sells a sketch of Jenny kind of by accident to a gallery owner. He's trying to sell landscapes and the gallery owner doesn't want landscapes. And as he's flipping through, you know, um, the owner spots this little sketch of Jenny that he did. And it's like, whoa, I want that. Give me, give me more of that. And he ends up buying that sketch from Eben uh, for much more than Eben had anticipated. So um, with, you know, dollar signs in his eyes and finally being able to eat and, and pay a couple of weeks ahead on his rent, um, he very quickly removes all of those internal like, oh, this is a little bit weird sort of barriers um, and just fully dives into like Jenny, like wanting her, longing for her, using her as a muse, like that he, it, Jenny becomes his kind of sole focus and he slides even further into the codependency sort of situation. And on the flip side of that, Jenny seems to be only able to interface with this world as part of meeting Evan. Like she doesn't go other places. She's only um, waiting for Evan in his room or coming to meet him at some place. Like it, it, she only seems to be able to interface with whatever this version of that reality is with Evan. So in order for her to kind of stay alive as long as possible or, or through the day or what have you, um, whatever that means to her, she's relying on Evan. So she very quickly like also removes all of those inhibitions and barriers and starts to try to age up as fast as she can and all sorts of stuff. It, it becomes also clear that Jenny is relying on Evan. Well, Maybe to, to be alive, honestly. It's it's really hard to say. And I think kind of the central sort of theme of this book is, is just that, where um, circumstances and, uh, you know, relationships and what have you can really lead this, like, slippery slope into um, a, a, a place that you didn't see coming or uh, didn't even notice that you were headed to. Um, how... It's it's almost a rose-colored glasses sort of situation where, you know, Evan's getting more money for his work. He's got this, you know, love interest. Jenny is absolutely infatuated with him. Like, it seems like it's all positive, positive, positive until you kind of take a step back and look. And it's like, oh, actually, he's headed down and down and down the whole time. Um, and it's clearly not a healthy situation for either of them to be in, even if Jenny is just a ghost or is not real at all. It's not healthy. <laughs> so I think the actual kind of heart of this novel is a direct removing of the sunglasses look at that kind of situation and where that can lead. And it leads to Evan being absolutely fucking crazy. He needs to get away, goes out with his best friend um, up north and ends up like on a boat in a hurricane, like a, a boat, not a ship, a rowboat in a hurricane with his best friend. He has a sort of like enlightening moment where he's like, wow, okay, how did I get here? This is wild. What am I doing here? I need, we need to go home. Like it's crazy. Uh, and they barely make it to shore. Right. And, um, him and his best friend are, are trapped in this cottage as the sea is beginning to rise. And Evan is, 
only thinking of Jenny. Um, you know, the he's watching his neighbor's barn get destroyed by this hurricane. And all he can think of is like getting back to Jenny. And I think that is where the real crux of this psychological break happens. Where even if Jenny is real, even if Jenny is a ghost, um, which she might be, it seems to be that other people can see her sometimes, maybe, unless his friends are just being nice. But the real break happens where he's longing for Jenny amidst this hurricane and he looks over amidst this rising sea level and sees her down on the shore, like struggling to get through the mud to come up and, and see him. And he, without hesitation, books it. He just heads right to Jenny and they have this like little conversation and, you know, he's trying to keep her above water and they're both kind of drowning and um, he kind of loses touch with consciousness a little bit in and out as he's literally drowning and he lets Jenny go and she drowns and his friend finally makes it and pulls him up to safety and back into the, into the cottage where he's effectively in a coma for a couple of days or a week or two because you know drowning in a hurricane and we never hear from jenny again after that this is very much the end of the novel but the novel ends without really any solid answers we learn a couple of things as evan comes to in in his hometown he gets kind of some news uh, from a newspaper that one of his friends had found way back in the day saying in the article that this girl jenny um same last name, had died aboard the Mauritania over a decade earlier. And the ending is ambiguous as to whether Jenny died recently or not, or was real or not, or if Eben had read this article in the paper a decade ago and imagined this or not. We're led to believe that she is alive because some people might see her or interact with her. It's never explicit, but, you know... The three three people, including Jenny and Eben, hang out sometimes. Like it, she may be real, um, and I think it's interesting that she first died on the Mauritania, which um, first sailed in 1904 and last sailed in 1938, which is the same year that this book was written, which is ten years before the novel is set. Um, so the novel takes place ten years after this book was written, which was just after the last sailing of the Mauritania. What is interesting is, um, unbeknownst to the author at the time, the Mauritania did come back. It was refurbished and started to sail again in 1948 to 1955, which does overlap with when this book took place, adding even more ambiguity because she may have died in that hurricane on the Mauritania during its second sailing in real life. Like She was supposed to be on that ship narratively uh, and died shows up in on the bank of of the cottage in the hurricane instead um which was a shock to evan but the second sailing of this ship she may have been on and it may have she may have fallen overboard during this hurricane that evan also experienced right except that the author wouldn't have known that right like when this book was written the mauritania had just stopped sailing and then it was written and published five years before it started to, to come back out again. So Robert Nathan would not have known that the Mauritania would come back during the timeline of this narrative, uh, which is a very fun sort of like <laughs> Ouroboros 
of hindsight here, uh, which I thought was funny and interesting uh, because it accidentally lends even more ambiguity to the book, which is fun because uh, th this is a book about ambiguity, right? I think the book leaving the you know main question unanswered is a masterstroke uh, and why it's probably held on for almost a century now as a novel. And I feel like this would have been a very, very different story and a very different experience and a mediocre one at that if we had gotten a different ending or some closure or something like that. So leaving this with layers of ambiguity and unknown, I think is a masterstroke for this novel and really makes it what it is. It would not be this book without that, that style of ending. Okay, let's get into some criticisms real fast because I have two. Uh, first being this entire novel is basically a series of vignettes with very little actual comprehensive narrative to the whole thing. Um, there is a little bit of a story being told, but it's really just vignettes about this experience, which is nice. It is a nice change of pace, but it also feels really disjointed and it feels a little bit like we're only getting a percentage of a whole story, if that makes any sense. But again, that's kind of what this book is. So a little bit of a criticism. Secondly, this novel asks a lot of really interesting questions, but it doesn't explore any of them deeply at all. The, the main idea or main relationship or, or what that might mean is only touched on and then moved off like a skipping stone. Like it, it is just let, letting you know the water's there, not that we're going to swim in it. Uh, and I really would have liked to swim in it. The, the idea of Jenny being a ghost or Eben trying to introduce potentially a figment of his imagination to his friends. That's a really interesting thing to happen and they don't really do anything with it. Again, the tortured artist who finally finds a muse to drag himself out of a little bit of poverty and that muse may not be real. They don't explore what that would do. They just kind of show a couple of vignettes of this descent into codependency and, and ultimately Jenny's death maybe. Or final rest, perhaps? Uh, and I really wish they would have explored some of those questions a little deeper. I'm still extremely happy that we don't get answers to those questions. I would have liked to spend more time in them. And with that, let's come to the conclusion. This is a very interesting book, and I liked it quite a lot. It's short. It's sweet. It is different. Um, I love that it is a a different kind of romance novel. It is very much an old novel and I think it it's going to be one that I think that I'm going to pick up again because it has a lot of really interesting things to say even if it doesn't say them very long. I think if you have not yet, you should definitely pick this book up just to experience the old-timey romance novel that is labeled a fantasy for some reason. Like can you imagine this being on a shelf alongside, like, Tolkien? <laughs> That's different kinds of fantasy, I guess. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to watch a YouTube version of this, it is on YouTube. You can check that out at youtube.com slash at earmarks. There's also a ring on, the, on my website, earmarkspod.com. If you have any suggestions for novels that you want me to check out, specifically out of print ones, 
please send me an email at earmarks at punk.dev. I would love to add more novels to this list and add more episodes to this show. And if you liked this show, tell your friends about it. Share it, you know, pick up this book. Let me know if you do read this book. I would love to hear your thoughts on whether or not Jenny was a ghost or a figment of Evan's imagination or what. I'd be very interested to hear from you. With that, bye everybody. Be kind to yourself.